I'm honored and humbled to be able to speak to you uh, as your pastor on this glorious Easter Sunday. Uh, Today, we are going to unpack the gospel message that Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is of first importance. The gospel that uh, Jesus Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. This Easter message, I believe, is the single greatest, most life-altering event in all of human history because of the ramifications of what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago directly affects your past, your present, and your eternity. So I'm going to break this message up in two parts. So I'm going to first focus on what, is, what does it mean of Jesus dying for our sins and how can we apply that in our lives? And then the second part is the significance of the resurrection um, this Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and, or an app. Turn to Genesis 22. Yes, Genesis 22. We're going old school, Old Testament. And as you turn there, this is a story. I'll give you a little context. This is a story of Abraham and Isaac. And something you need to know about Abraham. Abraham wasn't always Abraham. In fact, his original name was Abram, which means exalted father. Abram was the first of the Hebrew patriarchs. Scripture testifies that his life was characterized by faith and obedience to God. And it's because of this faith and obedience that God was pleased to make a covenant with him and his family and give him promises. Um, God later changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And that basically that happened when um, God took him outside and said, Abraham, look at the stars, count all of them. Your offspring is going to outnumber the stars, the very stars in the skies. And so that's where we get father of many nations. I don't know if you know this, but all three major religions, all right, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace back to Abraham. But the most important thing you need to know, like I said earlier, was Abraham was a man of faith. In Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. All right? And in Genesis 22, with Abraham and Isaac, we're about to see Abraham's biggest test from God. Let's read. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So a couple things with this, right? First thing, says, Take your only son. Well, if you know the story of Abraham, he actually at this point had two sons. One was Ishmael that was born from Hagar. And Hagar was Sarah's, Abraham's wife. It was her slave. And basically they were struggling with uh, getting pregnant, struggling with some infertility. And Sarah took matters in her own hands and said, hey, Abram, go ahead and take my slave and have a child with her. So Abraham um, said, okay. He had a child and Ishmael was born. But then Sarah later had bitterness within her heart, had disdain towards Ishmael and Hagar. And so she said, Abraham, cast them out, get them away from her presence. And this brought great grief to Abraham. So when it says your only son, this was Isaac. Isaac was a son of the promise that, that God told him. 
The second thing to kind of note is the land of Moriah. All right, Moriah was a, a holy place. It was later that Yahweh, God, uh, uh, revealed himself to King David. It was also where Solomon built his temple. Okay, so we'll come back to that later on. And then notice that God tells Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. He's not just saying, hey, kill your son, but no, kill him as a sacrifice. Kill him devoutly, kill him by rule and regulations that I have set in place, that I have ordered for you. And God gave him no reason for it. If this makes you angry, if this makes you confused, if this makes you outraged within, as your pastor, I believe you are experiencing the right emotions. If you're not experiencing those emotions, then a couple things may be happening. One, you're not personalizing the text enough in your own life. Or two, you don't fully understand what is happening. Why is this significant? Imagine if this was your son or your daughter and the God of the universe said, go and sacrifice him. Imagine the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of faithfulness that you hear about on Sundays, the God who led you to a foreign land, the God who made a covenant with you, committed himself to you, has given you all these promises of a hope and a future of being a father, has now asked you to sacrifice your one and only son. Abraham at this time, guys, was over 100 years old. And if I was him, I would be like, hey, God, you know what? We need to have a little talk. I don't know if you know how this whole procreation works, um, but usually it's when a man and a woman get together. I'm going to save the details. Uh, But with that, it's like we have children, and those children then go and have children and so forth. If you take away Isaac, then it stops right there. God, I'm, I'm already old of age. Like, what are you doing? But remember, this was a test. And I just want to set the record straight. All right, please know that God is not in favor of human sacrifice. All right, he later uh, directly prohibits it in Leviticus 18.21 and Deuteronomy 12.31. At this time, God was testing and seeing if Abraham would truly obey, truly surrender all of himself, including his beloved possession, his one and only son. So let's continue. Verse 3. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. I'm reading in the text a little, but I don't think he talked to his wife, because I don't think it would have happened, right? (laughs) At least in my my family. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to a place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. If you like writing your Bible, I highly recommend it. Go ahead and underline that sentence. All right, we're going to come back to that. Underline that sentence. That's pretty unique. Stay here. Um, I and the boy will go over and worship and he'll come back to you. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, uh, on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, prophetically, God, I added that, by the way. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And again, just to kind of set this scene up, all right? So they're traveling with some people. It's a three-day journey. 
And Abraham gets to this place and he says, hey, uh, you guys stay over here. I and the boy, we're going to go worship. And they go. And can you imagine of just kind of this, this small little journey that they're going to the place where God tells them and what's going through Abraham's mind? I can imagine tears streaming down his face as he realizes this might be the last hike with my one and only son. I don't know if Abraham was leading or Isaac was leading, right? My kids love to lead. Um, But just the innocence of, of them, of enjoying nature, enjoying this hike with your beloved son. And then Isaac asks this very legitimate question. He's like, hey, I understand the whole sacrifice system. We have the wood. You have the fire. Where's the animal? Where is the lamb? And the whole time, Abraham is like, you're going to be the lamb. You're going to be the lamb that God has told me. Let's continue. Verse 9. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and has laid wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So you may be wondering, why in the world would I share this story with you on Easter Sunday? Because I believe this story, this, this passage that we have, is one of the closest representations that we have in the Bible that typifies what God the Father has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. This story is God seeing firsthand his creation. The people of faith go through the pain and hardship of putting to death the one and only son. Let me show you, so let's go back. Let me show you the parallels of God and Jesus alongside with Abraham and Isaac. All right, so if you, I'm gonna go quickly through this, okay? So if you go to verse two, it says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Well, if you don't know, Jesus was God's only son. When Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven literally said, uh, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, he was a perfect, obedient son. The next thing you uh, should look at, Moriah. Remember the mountain, the holy mountain? Well, Jesus went to a mountain as well. It was Calvary or uh, Gagatha, the place of the skull. You see later, it says that um, offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Well, Jesus also, if you don't know, was a sin sacrifice. The Bible makes it crystal clear in a variety of accounts that Jesus was a sin sacrifice for all of us. He is a propitiation for our sins. That is a big fancy word, but what that means, propitiation, is God averts his anger or his wrath from one object to the other. All right, so propitiation in our lives is God averts his wrath and anger because of sin and directs it to 
Jesus. And to understand this, you need to understand that God hates sin. Sin is direct rebellion against a holy and just God. Sin is not just our actions, but our hearts as we seek to live our lives apart from God and his rule and reign. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, what we earn is death. I know it's pretty hard. It's death. It's separation from God for eternity. Um, Hebrews 9.22, right? In that sacrificial system, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Verse 6, if you look, it says that Isaac carried the wood that was put on him, and he carried the wood on Isaac. Jesus also carried a wood similar, and it was the cross. It was your cross. It was my cross, and he carried up to the mountain where he later died. Verse 9, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. So he tied him up. Well, Jesus wasn't bounded. It was just he was nailed to the cross. The major difference with both of these accounts is this, that God did not hold back. He did not relent. He did not save Jesus, but he went through with it. He killed and slaughtered his one and only son. Isaiah 53.10 says, This was the father's will to crush his son, to put him to grief. And in this story, notice how God provided a ram. Both Abraham and Isaac actually thought it was going to be a lamb. A ram is a male sheep over 12 months. All right, a lamb is a male sheep under 12 months. And this was prophetically that Jesus is our pure and spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world and was slaughtered on our behalf so that we might be right with God. I don't know about you guys, but personally, myself, I'm a visual learner. All right, so I can hear things. You might, I didn't really grow up in church, so uh, if, if you have the same experience, you might hear some of the stuff and be like, what is Eric talking about? I know if I can like hear it and see it, it really helps me out. So I have this visual for you. All right, involve some paint. Put this over here. All right, so let me get set up. All right, this visual, Kent is going to be God, right? God of the universe. Got a tall order right there. All right, and I'm going to represent men. If you don't know, we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to have fellowship, right? For him to know us, see us, and for us to see and know him, right? This intimacy. We were called to walk with God, to follow his commands, and, and perfectly abide in him, As you know, God hates sin, and sin entered into the world. All right? And sin, right, usually what we think of is we think of our actions. So it could be um, gluttony, or it could be slothfulness. Let me grab some more paint. It could be impure thoughts, um, pornography, lustful thoughts, envy. Um, What else? It could be selfishness. 
or anger or hatred towards someone else, right? And so we have sin here. And please know this. Sorry, I'm making a mess. Please know this, that sin isn't just our actions, but it's our heart, right? It's where we try to take control. We try to say we know what's best, and we're going to actually seek to please ourselves instead of pleasing God. It's deeper than us, right? The actions comes because there's an internal problem. And this is what I mean by this, right? Our human nature, your human nature, we all do this. We say, you know what? I'm going to fix myself. Yes, I wronged. I'm I'm sorry, God, but I'm going to just try to be a better person. And so we try to take our sin and we try to say, you know what? We make a list for ourselves. If only I uh, did this more, I have a quiet time or I start going to church. If only I, you know, stop looking at pornography or, you know, treat my wife better or my kids better and I don't get angry as much, Right. Maybe I'll give more money in the offering plate. And we try to fix ourselves. And we put this list and it's a bunch of dues. A bunch of dues that we put on ourselves because we think, well, we can make ourselves better. We, we can do this ourselves. And then we'll be right with God. Guys, that's the biggest lie you could tell yourself. None of us have it all together. None of us have it all together. And God's over here and it's like, what are you doing I never created this life so that you could become better. No, I created the, the, the law, the, the Ten Commandments, so that you can see how far you missed the mark, so that you would actually rely on me more, right? God's like, what is going on? And our sin separates us from him. And there's nothing you or I can do about it. And if you think you can, that's called religion. Guys, we're in this state and we need a savior. We need someone to save us from our sin, rescue us. And guys, this is the good news that the Bible proclaims. That God and his plan from the beginning of time sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world. That's why we we celebrate Christmas. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He taught us how to have a relationship with the father. He was perfect. He never sinned, right? He was completely obedient, like a good and righteous son. And he showed us of what God is really like. Because when you're living like this, you have all these faulty thinking over and over of who God is. And then you tell other people that this is God. And it's like, nope, that is not the God of the Bible, right? And so Jesus came And he was the only man that was born to earth to die, to be the sin sacrifice. On Good Friday, we actually talked about this verse, and it's one of my favorite verses. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, told you I'm a visual learner. This is what Jesus did. Jesus took our sin, every act, every impure thought, and he became sin himself. All of us, your sin, my sin, and he became sin. This was the Father's will. Some of you guys are like, this guy is crazy. (laughs) 
what did I get myself into? Guys, I went to this extreme length to show you the extreme cost that Jesus went through. We can read those rules or that scripture, but this is what actually happened. He took everyone, the whole world, their past, their present, their future sin, and he said, on me. This is the Father's will. And that's why he went to the cross. Because he was a a burnt offering. He's a sin sacrifice. And so when it talks about flogging, that Jesus was flogging. I don't know if you've heard about this, but flogging was a Roman form of punishment, of torture. And it's where they would uh, kind of uncover, lay bare Jesus' back. Right, And they would take this whip, this cat of nine tails, uh, basically nine strands with um, some broken bone or glass. And Roman soldiers would perform this. And Jesus would hold on this big pillar with his back exposed. And they would lash him over and over again. Jesus went through 40 lashes minus one for you and for me. Because it was uh, said that if someone got lashed 40 times, they would die. His back's exposed. The Roman guards are whipping him over and over again. The bone and the glass are coming in his flesh. And then when they pull back, ripping out, blood is splattering. I know that is graphic, but that is true. And he's taking it. His back is big enough for the sins of the world. And he's taking it because he loves you. You have a whole new meaning of when you hear, by his stripes, we are healed. He had to go through this. This was the only way. Not only did he experience the scourging, but then the the guards mocked him. They put a crown of thorns over his head. They put um, a robe and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, right? They spit on him. They punched him. They said, Prophesy on who hit you. God of the universe, willingly going through this. He takes the cross that was custom fitted for him. That was supposed to be our cross. That was our death that we deserved, right? We sinned against God, and he took that and carried that up to the place where he will later die. And that is Calvary, guys. And he died by crucifixion, which is a death by suffocation. It's where they would nail, put a a railroad spike in between these two bones so that when when you hung up... You wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't cut, out, cut through, right? It would stay in place. They put a nail through his feet and they lifted him up, right? Crucifixion was actually, you could last about two or three days. Jesus so wore out, right? Uh, so weak, he lasted hours. And the whole time, right? They lift him up and he's just fighting for air. <sighs> Coming back down, fighting for air. Imagine this scene, Jesus, the God of the universe on that cross, looking down to the people. There was plenty of people there. The Roman soldiers, his family, his disciples, the people that put him to the cross saying, crucify him. And he's saying, I love you. (sighs) Falls back down. I love you. I love you. And then later, when he could push no more, he said, he cried out to God, it is finished. And the veil was torn in two. And we now have 
a clear conscience. Jesus, thank you, thank you. Jesus paid the ultimate penalty so that you might become right with God. And this was because of the father.